Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues his series in the Gospel of Matthew with this sermon entitled, The Nature of Amazing Faith, preached on May 21st, 1995. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 8. You have heard the passage read to you from Matthew 8, 5 through 13 wherein is given a story of a miracle and wherein is also described the nature of amazing faith. There are two places in the Holy Scriptures where we are told that Jesus Christ himself was surprised, was amazed, Certainly we know that Jesus Christ is eternal God and so in his deity he was not surprised but he was also perfect man and in his humanity Jesus Christ himself was surprised, was amazed and the first reference to the great amazement of Jesus Christ is in this chapter as Jesus Christ discerned the great faith of a centurion. The other passage is found in the book of Mark chapter 6 where we find Jesus Christ going to his hometown of Nazareth. Jesus Christ went to his hometown in order that he may help his own people. He may heal their sicknesses. He may save his own people. But they treated him with contempt. And we are told in the sixth verse of Mark 6 that Jesus Christ was amazed by the unbelief of his own people. But here in this chapter... Jesus Christ was amazed by this trust, this faith of a centurion. The centurion was given this amazing faith to discern into the very nature of Jesus Christ. And the context is this, Jesus Christ was coming down from the mountainside where he taught with great authority where he delivered the Sermon on the Mount and people recognized that he spoke with authority not like the scribes nor like the Pharisees this one spoke with authority and as he came down a leper who was full of leprosy and in the last stages of his life he came, he fell down on his face, and he begged Jesus Christ to heal him. He said, I know you are able to heal me, but I do not know whether you are willing to do so. But Jesus said, I am willing be cleansed. And then we are introduced to this story of a centurion. 
Number one, the terrible problem. Now, what is the problem? A slave boy of a centurion was paralyzed and was suffering intense pain and Luke the physician in the seventh chapter of his gospel tells us that he was dying. Centurion, of course, is a, is a person in charge of 100 soldiers probably serving Caesar or Herod Antipas. The New Testament speaks about a number of centurions. First mention of centurion comes here in this chapter, who exercised such amazing faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, in the 27th chapter of Matthew, you find a centurion who was in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and he himself confessed that this one is surely the Son of God. And then in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, you find a centurion by the name Cornelius belonging to the Italian regiment. How he was told in a vision that he should invite the apostle Peter and who came and preached the gospel, the centurion and his household believed. And we find another centurion in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts by name Julius of the Imperial Regiment who was in charge of conducting Paul to Rome. Centurions were the backbone of Roman army. Centurion was a man of action. He was a problem-solving individual. But here is a problem that he cannot solve. That his slave boy, whom he loved dearly, who was dear to him, we are told, in the book of Luke, paralyzed, in terrible pain, and about to die. Yes, this centurion was a good person quote-unquote, a righteous person probably, quote-unquote, very generous person, a compassionate person. You don't have to worry about your slave boy. Who cares about a slave boy? We can find another slave boy like we could find another dog. And you find in 1 Samuel 30th chapter, that a slave, an Egyptian slave belonging to an Amalekite master, because he was sick, the master abandoned him, and he was discovered by David. Who cares about a slave? But this centurion was a, was a compassionate person. He wants to solve this problem, and he cannot solve this problem. This is not a military problem. This is a problem that completely puzzled him. And he inquired. I'm sure he sought physicians and medicines and, and every other alternative. Nothing works. And being a man of some prominence, he inquired, what else can I do for this 
my slave boy who is dying? Is there any answer, any place? The Jewish leaders told him, we have heard of a man by name Jesus of Nazareth. He teaches with authority and he also performs miracles. The centurion is a Gentile. In the language of the Jews of the day, he was unclean. And no human being will dare, that is a Jewish human being, will dare to go into his house, lest he be contaminated. In the language of the religious leaders of the time, the Gentile was a dog. A dog. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he was told about it. And all of a sudden he says, he is able to solve my problem. Let me tell you this. Nobody can solve your problem. Nobody can solve it. But Jesus Christ. The problem, the real problem, let me tell you, is not that you want to find a husband or a wife or a job or a house or find healing for your physical body. There is a problem that is infinitely greater than all other problems in the world. And that is the affair of your soul. It's a problem of sin that drags you into hell. That problem is the problem that Jesus Christ has solved. And he's solving even this morning he is solving. And so he said, I want to go to the one you told me about Jesus, but I do not know him. Would you please, would you please go in behalf of me? And we read that in the parallel passage in Luke. And they went and said, they said, you know, this guy is a nice person. He loves our nation. He built a synagogue for us. He is worthy. He deserves that you heal his slave boy. That's stupid, isn't it? That's the wrong language they used. Because you notice that the centurion himself later on acknowledges his unworthiness. The Jewish elders said, because that was their idea of work righteousness. But the centurion who was given faith by God, he says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you even to come into my house. Yes, the elders said, please do this. And the amazing thing here is what? Jesus is not putting up or putting out any kind of obstacles. Look at number two, the petition. What is the petition? Verse six, Lord. He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Now this is being told to Jesus Christ through the delegation sent by the centurion. But the point here is somehow he understands that this is not just any other human being. 
is Lord. And let me tell you again, if you want to receive any help from Jesus Christ, you must come to him as a sinner. You must come to him as a sinner, as an unworthy person, and you must address him as what? Lord! You must pour contempt upon all your pride. You must thrust a dagger through your arrogance and my arrogance. No one can come to Jesus Christ and say, I am worthy. I'm a nice guy. I'm intelligent. Help me out, oh no, the petition must be petitioned in this way. You address him, Lord. You time that I'm not worthy, I deserve nothing from you. Then you tell him that my problem is very, very serious. No doctor can analyze it, diagnose it, no medicine can help, no idol can save. But I heard of you, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. And what is it? You beseech. You are told here, he was beseeching him. He was begging him, beseeching him. And let me assure you, no one is going to receive anything from God until we come and address him as Lord and tell him that we are unworthy. Tell him that our problem is so terrible, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, I was blind, I was dead. I'm a sinner. Beseech him. And he did so through the delegation. And number three, let's look at the gracious pronouncement. I said Jesus did not put any kind of argument as he did before this woman, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus Christ for the healing of her daughter. He says this gracious pronouncement, what is it? I will come and I will heal. You don't deserve it, I know that. You are a sinner, I know that. But I am a friend of sinners. I have come to seek and save that which is lost. The qualification Jesus requires from us to receive any mercy is to come to him as sinners. As lost, as blind, as dead us on our way to hell. And God says, I will come and I'll heal you. The truth is, Jesus Christ came from heaven down to earth. God incarnate. And you ask him, why did you come? I have come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. And he says, immediately and readily, he says, I will come. That is the willingness of God. Remember the leper is wondering whether he was willing. Whether he loved him. But here he says, I will come. I am willing. I will not treat you as a dog. I will not treat you as an unclean. I love sinners. You have come to me and I'll come to you. And then he says, I will heal him. 
Jesus Christ alone is sovereign and he is omnipotent to heal you. That complicated problem you cannot diagnose or analyze. Nobody else can diagnose and analyze. He is able to analyze it and diagnose it and instantly take care of it. And let me tell you, that problem is the twisted, thorny, complicated problem of our sin. I will, the willingness of Jesus... I will heal the ability, the omnipotence of God. Jesus Christ is saying, I will direct all my omnipotence toward your slave boy. And he will be instantly healed. Let me tell you, Jesus hears our prayer. We pray. We are praying to Almighty God because we know it is He and He alone He is able to help us and take care of us. And because we know that He is willing and He is able to assist us, in fact, He welcomes us to come and come, 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 come to me, He says. He receives all who come to Him. He never casts anybody out. He, in fact, invites all to come to him, all who are needy. He says in Matthew chapter 11, to the poor, the gospel is preached. To the poor, this is always true, to the poor, the gospel is preached. Who is the poor? The poor is the person who acknowledges that he is a sinner and he has no righteousness of his own. He is a needy person. He is on his way to hell. That's the poor. And to the poor, Jesus Christ proclaims the gospel, the good news. And what is the good news? Jesus heals. Jesus saves you. Jesus is able to take you from your hell and place you before God, our Heavenly Father, and pours into your hearts His Holy Spirit who causes you to cry, Abba, oh Father. And look at the amazing faith. You see, He was told, Jesus is coming to your house. All of a sudden, He wants to adjust His petition. In a flash, he was given an understanding into the very person of Jesus Christ. Initially, the petition was, come and heal. But now, in a flash, the Spirit of the living God ministered to him an understanding of who Jesus is. The amazing adjustment of his first petition the amazing faith. And he says, I'm not worthy. Please do not come. Isn't that something? Don't come. Please don't come. Why not? The answer is, I am a dog. I am unworthy. I am nothing. I've been given in a flash an understanding of your person. You don't have to come to my house. And he says, what? Speak only a word. I want you to understand the amazing nature of this faith. Speak only a word. Speak only a word. What is he saying? He is saying, I recognize who you really are. 
You see, he says, I understand one thing. I understand authority. My whole philosophy of life is I'm a man under authority. And I have people under me. And to the one I say, go, he goes. To the one I say, come, he comes. To this one I say, do this, he does it. I understand one thing, and that is authority. And my authority is very, very limited. But I know authority. I'm a man of action. I'm a man who obeys commands. And I command other people, and they obey me. But I recognize that you are the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. Oh, we are told in the 23rd verse of chapter 1 of Matthew, this one is Emmanuel, God with us. And in the last chapter of this gospel, we are told, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. In a flash, profound understanding. And in a flash, he realizes he is truly the Lord. You are not just a Jewish rabbi. I recognize that you are Lord. I recognize that all authority proceeds from you, even the authority of Caesar and authority of Herod Antipas. As we are told in Romans 13, all authority is coming from you. I have just seen the one in whom is vested all authority in heaven and on earth. If you want to receive anything from him, you must understand this. This is penetration, great insight into the very person of Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord of all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no authority outside of him. With unlimited authority, infinitely greater than Herod and Tippus, Caesar himself. From you all authority proceeds. When you speak, God speaks. I recognize you as Lord and God. When you speak a word, my dying slave will be instantly healed, though he is at a distance from you. Only speak a word. Only give a command. You are king of kings. You are lord of lords. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is puzzling for you. Nothing confuses you. You are sovereign. You are omniscient. You are almighty. Speak a word. That's amazing faith. Not even found in all of Israel. Jesus Christ himself said... And may God grant us such an understanding this morning as professing Christians. An understanding into the very person of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. The source and the depository of all authority. You know, in Psalm 107, verse 20, we read, He sent His word and healed them. I am given an insight into your person. You have authority over creation, over nature, over disease, over demons, over death, and over hell. Read Revelation 1, 17 and 18. Jesus Christ said, I was dead, but now I'm alive, and I have the keys of hell and death. Not just another religion. 
not just another little savior, but I tell you, there is no other God who is able to save you but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in whom this dog of a Gentile put his faith. When you read John 4, you find a royal official whose child was dying and he says, please come, please come and heal him before he dies. And in John 11, both Mary and Martha says, you know, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But here a man says, you don't have to come to my place. You don't have to do anything personally. I understand authority. Speak a word. Hallelujah. Yes, by faith we understand that. God created the universe out of nothing. How did he do it? By fiat. He spoke a word. Let there be light. There was light. And the dead Lazarus, the stinking Lazarus entombed, Jesus spoke a word. Lazarus, come forth. And he came out. And let me tell you, this same Jesus Christ heals people by the thousands from his throne in heaven. By the declaration and proclamation of his word. If you trust in him. I am unworthy. I am a sinner. You are great. You are the Holy One. I deserve nothing. But I know if you speak a word, it will be done. Oh, what faith this is. This is earnest faith. This is intense faith. This is faith that clings to Jesus Christ. He is saying, I have looked for saviors, but nobody could save but you. So what is this amazing faith? Let me give you a few items. Jesus, he understands, is a person of all authority. He understands this Jesus can do anything. He can perform miracles by a command. Therefore, he says he can heal anybody from a distance without medicine. And he understand he could heal instantly. He understand Jesus is Lord. He understand he himself is a dog and is unworthy. And not only that, he is believing for another amazing faith. Jesus went to his own town and they poured contempt upon him. You, I know you are Mary's son. I know you are the carpenter who fixed my plow. Big guy now, performing miracles. I heard a few things about you. And their unbelief was amazing even to Jesus Christ. Maybe your unbelief is amazing to Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, Jesus Christ is unaffected by your unbelief. He is very secure. He is sitting on his throne. Now let's look at the amazing prediction. And it is stated right here in verse 11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus Christ said, that there is an eternity... There is a final judgment. 
There is a conclusion of history, no matter what you think, philosopher. Bright man, no matter what you say, Jesus said, there is going to be an end. And he predicts that large numbers of Gentiles, dogs from all over the world, from east and west and north and south, will come and enter into the kingdom of God and have vital fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and with God. God has a plan to save dogs and Gentiles and sinners and wretches of the world. God so loved the world. He loves sinners. No matter who that person is, as long as that person comes to him in his own unworthiness, acknowledging his sin, Jesus Christ is ready and able and willing to heal and save that person instantly. That's why he says, many are going to come on that great eschatological banquet and they are going to sit with whom? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because Abraham believed God. And all the Gentiles who will believe like Abraham believed will enter with Abraham and enjoy great fellowship, great joy. Oh, let's turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 65 where we are given an insight into this eschatological banquet. And there is a warning given beginning with verse 13 of 65th chapter of Isaiah. Listen to what it says. My servants will eat, but you will go hungry. My servants will drink, but you self-righteous, arrogant, proud person who will not bow your knees to the Lord Jesus Christ, but you will go thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. My servants will sing out of the joy of their hearts, but you will cry out from anguish of heart and wail in brokenness of spirit. That's what Jesus Christ is speaking here in the 8th chapter in this amazing prediction. As he saw this dog of a centurion putting his great faith in Jesus Christ. Spirit of prophecy comes upon Jesus. He says, many are going to come from east and west, from north and south, and recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I am one of those dogs who is given an insight into the person of Jesus Christ. And I come from the east, and you come from the west. And what else? But look at verse 12, and that is a threat, and that's a warning for you, and warning for me, and warning for anybody who is complacent, and who thinks because you descended from Abraham, you will have an automatic pass into this banquet. It doesn't work that way. But listen to the contrast. The dogs are going to get in and have an enjoyable time with God for all eternity. But the subjects, actually the word in the Greek is sons. The sons of the kingdom will be what? Will be thrown out. He's speaking about real hell. The sons of the kingdom will be thrown out. 
into the outer darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth. Sons of the kingdom. You go home and read Matthew 3 and and John 8. They are saying, we are Abraham's children. My father was a preacher. I come from a Christian family. What do you think that I'm not a Christian? I've been a Christian all my life. Oh no. There is a surprise here. This is a surprising prediction. This is the exact opposite of what people thought would happen. What did the Jewish people think? That they are already sons of the kingdom. And they were saying that you Gentiles are dogs, you never make it. And they were careful when they come after the marketplace, they will wash and clean. And they are very careful not to touch anybody who is a Gentile. Oh, what a surprise. Now, this is serious business. Brothers and sisters, those who thought he is Lord, and Lord, Lord, open for me to you, know me, don't you? He says, you workers of iniquity, depart from me. There may be a surprise for you. There may be a surprise for me. Therefore, I urge us this morning to pay heed to this prediction of Jesus Christ. He predicted that he would be raised up after three days, and he was raised up. And he is speaking about heaven and hell in this passage. There is a real heaven and real hell. And those who go into heaven are those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the idea. That's the idea right here. The two destinies feasting with Abraham. (laughs) That's heaven. That's joy. That's beatific vision. That is satisfaction. That is eternal life. And others without mercy thrown out, look at the language, cast out into the outermost darkness where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth in frustration. That's hell. Who said this? Jesus Christ said, brother, sister, Jesus Christ said there is a hell. It's going to happen. But today it is a day of mercy and day of grace. I present you, Jesus Christ, Lord of lords and King of kings, the one who is in supreme authority. And this one has decided, according to his immutable law, he says, he who comes to me and acknowledges that he is a sinner, I will save him. And if you Treat me with contempt. You will be thrown out. What is the most serious sin in the whole world? It is stated in the 16th chapter of John and verse 9. Let's take a look at it. Let's understand this. It is not adultery. It is not anything else. The most serious sin in the whole world is stated right here. And let me read to you from verse 8 of John 16. When he comes as the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And now he explains in regard to sin because 
in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. Men do not believe in me. The greatest sin in the whole world is not to believe in Jesus Christ. As King of kings and Lord of lords, as the one who died for our sins on the cross, as the one who alone is able to save us, reconstruct us. As I said, every word of man is disappointment. But here is Jesus Christ who treats you as his creation and he loves you and he says, listen to me, I will save you. Come, a sinner. Come, forsaking your ways. Come, forsaking your own ideas. And may God grant you such penetrating insight into the person of Jesus Christ that you will come rushing to him. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He did not come to just to give us physical healing. He came to save us from our sins, which is infinitely greater miracle. There is no other savior. There is going to be an end. Let me tell you, you will soon die. You will die. And I will die. And the moment we die, we enter into our own eternity on the singular basis of our trust or unbelief in Jesus Christ. Soon die you will and enter into your own eternity, determined in terms of your faith in Jesus Christ or unbelief in him. Jesus has come as the good shepherd to seek and save everyone. Who is a sinner? Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. What should I do in order to be saved? Oh, don't do anything. Don't try to look nicer. You come as an unworthy person, a miserable sinner. You come to, to be willing to submit to this one who is the authority of the whole universe. Centurion learned how to submit. You come as one who is lost forever. You come telling him, you know, unless you save me, I am a goner. He saves, he alone saves. He alone saves sinners. He alone saves sinners who come to him in utter humility. Forget about your PhD. Please don't mention that to him. Don't make reference to your money, your cars, nothing. Please don't do that. Jesus Christ is the knower of our hearts. Come to him as a miserable sinner. And let me say this. This centurion was compassionate toward his slave boy and did everything to save him. And I ask a logical question. Have you shown some compassion to your own children? Have you shown some compassion to your own children? Your wife, your husband, your parents, your brothers, your sisters who are on their way to hell. You know they are on their way to hell. Did you have some compassion? And say, I want to lead you to Jesus Christ. Oh, this centurion puts us to shame. That he had such a compassion for his dying slave. That he may be saved. 
Heavenly Father, we pray, help us, O oh Lord, to obey the Spirit of God by obeying the Word of God, which we know what the Word is telling us. Help us to prove ourselves to be sons of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace Valley Christian Center is committed to the unchanging truths of the Holy Scriptures. We have been proclaiming the whole counsel of God since 1974 through our weekly worship services, our website resources, and our publishing ministry. For more information about our church, to find more edifying sermons, or to order books by the Rev. P.G. Matthew, please visit our website at gracevalley.org.